Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 89 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today, I have with me Daphne and Rachel, and we are going to have a conversation about something that takes place a lot in the separation stage of, of um, people's journey when they're trying to get out of a, an emotionally abusive relationship or a spiritually abusive relationship. And, the sep- and when I say separation stage, I kind of mean not necessarily that you're separated, like physically separated, where someone's living in a separate home, but it could also just mean where you are starting to ma- set some boundaries and separating yourself emotionally. And when you, or starting to um, separate yourself from his kind of imaginary world of what he says you are and how he defines you. And sometimes in that stage, um, you will get communications from him that are confusing. Because on the one hand, he will be trying to, you know, he'll be saying things like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm ready to cooperate. I shouldn't have done that. What can I do to change myself? Um, and then, and the next, and then when you say what you what you're interested in, <laughs> the changes you're interested in seeing, then he'll turn it back on you and he'll accuse you of all the things he's always accused you of, and he'll blame you and he'll define you and he'll do all of those things. And it's really confusing because you don't know which which message to believe. It doesn't mm-hmm. want to work on things. Or is it really your fault and you just are making a big deal out of nothing and you need to, you know, be more forgiving and more understanding and give them lots of more chances. And so welcome, Rachel and Daphne. Are you ready for this discussion? Yes. Looking forward to it. it. Okay. Um, First of all, I'm curious to know, did you, either of you experience anything like this when you were kind of going through your getting out journey? Yes. I... I was just thinking, this has been a few years now, so it's good to be able to look back. But there was a situation where we were separated. I think we were probably, I had actually served him papers, divorce papers. And he sent me this text message. I had set a boundary where he was to communicate with me via writing because I was done with the circular conversations that always sucked me back in. But, and I I recommend that um, because Mm -hmm. it's so easy um, to, like I said, get pulled in, but when you have some space and you can see it in plain text, that's really powerful to be able to get clarity. But anyway, he sent me this text message that, um, was a little mushy and was using one of my, one of the pet names he'd had for me when we were dating. And he hardly ever used after we got married and, um, was basically, you know, proclaiming his love for me. And I didn't answer it at that time, but like the next day I found out um, in a really embarrassing fashion that he was running a smear campaign um, with my workplace (laughs) and uh, because my boss came in and talked to me about it. And thankfully my boss was really understanding, but it was just so mortifying. And so I actually texted him back and I was like, if I really am, you know, mean this much to you, why would you do this? And he then, of course, came back with all these excuses and reasons, and it was my fault, right? Mm -hmm. And that was like the most clear I could have ever been like, okay, this is, uh, you know, I hate the fact that we're having to get divorced, but this is unfortunately what it has come to. 
So there was all sorts of mixed messages even before that, but that was really the final one. And it was like, I, I can't believe, uh, I do believe, but I can't believe that this is actually what was happening. I was right all along when I started waking up. Yeah. What a horrible feeling though, too, to realize that he, that he's actually blatantly lying to you mm-hmm. in a text and, mm-hmm. and that you, you know, and, and the, the mortifying thing is that we, like we fall for it in some ways. I mean, there's a part mm-hmm. of us that's holding back because of our past experience with them, but there's a part of us that like leans into it and wants to believe it and buy into it. And, and it's just, it's just a kind of a gross experience. I'm glad it you really had is. that experience. So you could see it really clearly. Yes. And writing, you know, like I said, can't recommend that enough to keep those boundaries strong. Yes. If they're wanting to talk to you, they can put it in writing. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I, just, I was just talking to someone recently who said that um, she had put that boundary up and he was pig biting mad. He's like, I'm oh, not yeah. going to, I should not have to write to what we should be able to talk. We're husband and wife. We should. Be able to talk. <laughs> so. Yeah. Okay. Well, unfortunately this is where we are. Exactly. What about you, Daphne? Yeah. yeah, I had so a similar situation. This was towards the end. This this part of this actually happened when we were at the retreat. I don't know if you remember, Natalie. We had our retreat a couple of years ago. I was having y'all read some of the text messages that I was getting. Yep. Um, but yeah, I kind of had I had a similar boundary in place. Like we weren't going to be communicating over the phone because those conversations weren't going anywhere and. So the retreat was in Charlotte. I actually went to North Carolina early and like went to the Raleigh-Durham area and was visiting some friends there because when I was married, that's where we lived for the first little bit. And so I was just talking to some friends and kind of telling them what was going on. I hadn't told my ex that I was going out there, um, but I got some texts from him um, saying, you know, I, I, he was really desperate at this point, I guess. And I got some texts from him saying, you know, please call out all my sin. Like, I know I've wronged you. I want to do better regardless of whether or not you stay married to me. I know that I need to do better and call my sin out. And then, um, a few days later, um, I guess so some of the friends or who I thought were friends, but they were actually, so they were biblical counselors. Apparently they told him I was there and what I was there for and who I was talking to. And so he found out and he texted me. I heard that you're talking to people about me and saying the word abusive in connection with my name. You need to stop doing that or I'm going to file charges against you. And wow. that was actually, that was the last communication. I actually blocked him after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was our last communication, but it was crazy to see just kind of the side by side where like one, he was like, call my sin out, tell everybody. And then like, he was like, oh, well you're telling people I'm going to file charges. Like, yeah, what? <laughs> yep. Those are two okay. like perfect examples of what's actually going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. I mean, call my sin out. Well, that's what I'm doing over here. I'm over here learning what your sin is so I can call it out. <laughs> But he yeah. doesn't really, he didn't really want that. So actually that kind of leads into my next question. What are they really communicating when they're going back and forth? What are they really, what are they really saying? And, and can we know what they're really saying? I think it's, um, so, you know, the, obviously there's the abuse cycle and it goes around and around, but the way I think about it is 
they are using whatever means necessary, whether it's charm or what, giving you what you've always wanted in order to gain power back over you. Mm. And they want to get you back under their control. Yeah. And Unfortunately, it's so tricky because if they do start to, to act in ways that you've always wanted, um, you know, you've always dreamed of having a husband who did these certain things, then you find, you're, you know, it's really easy to, to want to believe that. Um, but you have to be really honest with yourself and look at truly what's going on. And if something, you know, if, some, if your instincts say um, something's not right, you're probably correct. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great, Rachel. I mean, for sure. Ultimately, it is about power and control. And in thinking about this, I was trying to think about like, why, why is it that those are things that we want to hear? Like, you know, what are these kind of scripts that are playing in our head that like when we hear certain things, it makes us start to believe. And I was just thinking about, you know, a lot of us are raised in like conservative, Protestant, you know, evangelical church environments. And I feel like it kind of starts there. Like we're taught from an early age that we need to kind of hear certain things. Like a lot, there's a lot of emphasis on kind of saying the right thing and kind of having the appearance of doing certain things, but we're not really taught a lot about, you know, what does this look like practically? What do these actions look like? What does this life need to look like? Either we're not taught about it or we see that the people who are supposed to be leading us have lives that are contradictory to what they're teaching us. And so it kind of starts from this early age and this, this grooming of like, well, you should, you know, be like trusting what this person is saying. And like, what are you looking for? I, I mean, I even think about like, we don't get great uh, relationship <laughs> education, I guess, no. in the church. I feel like the we extent don't. of it is like, you should find, you know, you should want like a godly person, right? You shouldn't be unequally yoked, so they, so they should be a Christian. You should want a godly person to be married to, because obviously being married is better than being single, um, you also shouldn't have sex before you get married. And then once you get married, you can't get divorced. And so like, that's the extent of the relationship education. So we're not yes. really taught like, what does this look like in someone's life? Right. And we're, mm -hmm. oh, we're definitely not told to like, trust our gut. If our gut is telling us, Hey, they, they might be saying that, but this isn't the truth. We're definitely not told that. Right. If they're no. saying these scriptures, if they're quoting scriptures, if they like know all the, all the right words to say in the right situation, like that's why I feel like they, they say these really like biblical things like call my sin out. I want yeah. to repent because those words are supposed to trigger in us like, oh, that means they're godly. So we should listen to them. Yes. Yes. That is so true, Daphne. You're right that there's no education on what godly character even looks like. So we're made, you know, I think there's this impression that we just trust the words. And I know I did. My ex-husband, you know, told me he was a Christian. His family was Christian. They all went to church. His mom worked at a church, you know, and, and I, I knew that that was an important thing. And I had no way to like discern that some things were not adding up. Um, yeah. You know, what's fascinating is that the, we, I've recently been learning about how our brains are programmed from the time that we're a baby, just by, um, it takes in all of the subjective information that comes in through our senses. Right. And it takes in all of this data and then it turns it into a program that sort of 
tells us how we need to live our lives. It kind of dictates to us what's real and what isn't real and what we need to believe. And if you've been raised in a Christian environment or if you've been steeped in one, even as adult an adult for many years, you start to, your brain is taking in all of this, that kind of teaching, which some of it's good and some of it's not, but your brain doesn't know the difference. It just like takes it in objectively and records it. Right. And then that programming turns into thoughts that are in your head. So when you get a text like that, that, that throws out like that, call my sin out or some other Bible verse, you know, the heart is desperately wicked and who can know it. Um, <laughs> you immediately go back to, like you said, Daphne, well, that must be true. And that's your thought. Your thought is your brain. And you don't even know that this is a subconscious thought that you're having because your brain's programming is just running on automatic. And you're thinking, yeah, that, that they must be telling the truth or I need to listen to them. Or, um, this is a Bible thing. This is a God thing. So I need to like perk up my ears and pay attention. And your brain will look for evidence of what it believes and it will overlook evidence or kind of ignore evidence of things that it doesn't want to believe. And so that's why we tend to, when they're, when our husbands or exes or whoever is showing us who they are, even with their actions, if our programming doesn't want to believe that, if our brain believes, well, they're a Christian, they're a good person, they're my husband, they're my authority, I need to submit, I need to be open to reproof, I need to be humble, I need to be willing to suffer. If those messages are going through our brain, we're going to look for evidence for all of that. And the evidence for that is very plainly in front of us. All of these negative things are happening. And so we're going to be like, yeah, this is my life. This is good. This is my Christian life. But so it's really lies in changing the thinking, our own thinking about just take that text. For example, he sends a text. What are you going to think about that text? Are you going to think all of the religious thoughts that you've always thought? Or are you going to go in there and go, wait a minute, is this really true? Are these thoughts really true? Do I need to, do, do I really want to hang on to these thoughts or do I want to think something different about this? Is that's that confirmation really bias? I'm sorry, what? Is that confirmation bias? I think that's what you just yeah. described. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that's things. what it was called, but yeah. <laughs> we look for things that confirm our view or what we want to be our view. Yeah. You know, what we think, what we have to believe. But then there's always some cognitive dissonance because what we're seeing and what we're you know, there's two separate things that we're seeing and it's so confusing. That's where the confusion always comes in. Right. And that cognitive dissonance can, can be resolved in time, but it does require you to feed the new thoughts that you want to have and kind of ignore or discount the thought that you're used. Cause the thought that you're used to thinking is big. It's like feels really, really real to your brain and the thought, your new thought feels like, oh, is this really true? I don't know. I'm feeling secure about this thought. I don't know. And so mm-hmm. you want to feed that new thought and you want to not feed the old thought. And one of the best ways to do that is as soon as the old thought comes up, like, oh my gosh, he's my authority, for example. He's my authority. I need to listen to him. Your new thought could be, you'd want to connect, like make a synapsis in your brain that whenever I think that thought, I'm going to think this new thought, which might be, you know, I don't know. Do you guys have a good idea for what could be a replacement thought for he's my authority and I need to listen to him and obey him in all things? I mean, a new thought could be, 
I have as much authority over myself and I can decide what I want to believe and act accordingly. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, I, I believe that I believe that actually that God, that our, our first authority is Jesus Christ. And then, but then our earthly authority is ourself. He gives us responsibility and authority over an autonomy over our own selves. That's called responsibility, the ability to respond. And if we don't take, if we get, you know, renege on that and just give it away to other people, we will be controlled. And, you know, it's fine if someone, you know, we might not even think that's a problem if the person that's controlling us is very benevolent and kind and nice and, you know, fatherly and nurturing. But I was going to say most people, and I, I think generally speaking, most people aren't that way, probably, at least most people aren't going to take on that responsibility and just be all 100% in your court. Most people are 100% in their own courts. And they're going to actually use, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say most people, but a lot of people are going to use other people to get what they want. I mean, we all do that in some ways, you know, we want to feel happy and we want to feel good. And so even we who are living with um, men like that, we we'll try to control their behavior or get them to change or stop something so that we can feel better about our own lives. And we actually don't have any authority over their behavior. Only they do. Yeah. But yep. we do have authority mm-hmm. over our own behavior and they don't, they don't. Right. Yeah. I love how you brought up the idea of like shifting your thoughts and how that can help you get out of some of these confusing interactions. Another thing. So you brought up the Jeremiah 17.9 scripture, the heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Yeah. That scripture was used um, so much to teach us to discount our emotions and our feelings, <laughs> yeah. which I think goes a long way in perpetuating the system of spiritual abuse. Because I know like Rachel, you mentioned that like you didn't necessarily have a way to discern, you know, what things are true and what things were not because of what we were taught. But kind of what I found is that I always had this gut feeling that things were not right. But I was always told like, well, you shouldn't trust your feelings. You should go faith over feelings or facts mm-hmm. over feelings as if like, you know, those things aren't important as, you know, as if feelings don't matter, as if God didn't give us those feelings, as if God can't work through that to tell us what's going on. And I, I've just always, one thing that I've observed is that that part um, is less able to be molded than like the intellect and the mind, right? Like, I feel like a lot of this is kind of an intellectual exercise and you need to think the right thing, right? But in all of that, in all of that being groomed intellectually, like that feeling, that spirit never wavered in like telling me what was wrong and what was right. And so I feel like another way to kind of get out of this dynamic is really leaning into that space and trusting like, hmm, think about maybe a situation where you knew something wasn't right, but you decided to kind of go along with it anyway. And what happens, you know, like, and, and just kind of lean into that really. And I think there's a lot that can be said for that, that gut feeling and kind of trusting that and leaning into that. Is this content resonating with you? I've written a book for women of faith in destructive relationships called, Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage, A Christian Woman's Guide to Hidden Emotional and Spiritual Abuse. 
You can read reviews and find out more about my book on Amazon.com. It comes in paperback, Kindle, and Audible formats. And new for 2020, I've created a companion workbook for Is It Me, also available on Amazon. This workbook is like 11 power-packed therapy sessions to help you process through the important material you'll be learning from my book. These books are recommended by counselors and therapists all over the United States. I've also got a website specifically focused on helping women of faith find hope and healing. It's called flyingfreenow.com. I'll even give you the first chapter of my book and the first chapter of my companion workbook for free when you hop on my mailing list at the top of my website. Those two resources are going to help you figure out if your relationship is normal or destructive. And now let's get back to our episode. Actually, Daphne, that's such a good point because that was a big part of my waking up where I read, I was, you know, reading the Bible, really trying to plug into the truth of what God was, would say about my situation. And I came to the realization that I had been living my life by formulas and trying to have a good marriage by inputting submission or inputting sex or just, you know, it, that's what a lot of the Christian advice is, is you do these things, you're going to get this out, right? It's a prosperity gospel. And I had to switch my thinking from that to what God actually commands us to do, which is walking by the spirit. And that is hard to do when, I mean, you have to stay plugged into God. You have to be actually humble and, and, um, actually really seek after him instead of just saying, well, this is what God wants, you know, this is what God says. And so there's really no flexibility here. There's always going to be the same answer for these really complicated and and difficult situations, et cetera. Um, Walking by the spirit is um, it's, it requires us to, to really chase after God and, and ask him to be with us all the time. Instead of it's like, sometimes I think, Christians, like they live, they say, you know, they say the right things, like Daphne was saying with like, it's an intellectual exercise, but they're actually really far removed from the heart of God. Yeah. And I, I've lived like that in the past and I, I had to stop that. Yeah. Which is love. When you think about it, the heart of God is love. So mm-hmm. I think whenever you see people moving, a movement of people that are seeking to listen to other people, really hear them understand them, not try to define them, but let them define their own selves and um, not put uh, their responsibility onto other people, but to let other people take responsibility for themselves to just care about people and love them right where they're at in their own journey. That's where I think you see the Holy Spirit of God. And this whole idea of, here's the thing about these messages that you get from these texts, you guys. You, if you get messages that are that are condemning or that are using the Bible to shame you, that is, you know that's not the heart of God because only God, only the Holy Spirit can convict a person of sin. And that comes usually when that person, it comes from inside that person. That's how true transformation takes place anyway. So whenever we go around and we say, oh, you know what? You're doing that wrong. You really need to change that. That is not the Holy Spirit working through us. That's actually our own flesh wanting to control somebody else. And that's not, that's not, that's not love at all. 
That's us being selfish. And it's also us not trusting God, that God is fully capable of convicting someone else of their sin. Now, I'm not saying that we don't give feedback to people. Okay. I'm not saying that if someone is hurting you, that you don't say, stop kicking me, stop kicking me in the shin. Okay. I'm saying, what I'm saying is that we don't go, go up to someone who's doing their own thing in their own life and say, you need to, you know, or, or let's say that somebody is, um, doing the dishes and you don't want them. I'm just giving, you know, weird examples. You don't want them to, you don't like the way they're doing the dishes. You're not supposed to do the dishes that way. That's not how my mother taught me how to do the dishes. You need to do the dishes the way I say. Otherwise, if you don't, you're stupid, ignorant, and you're unsubmissive. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so that's wrong. That's like not trusting God that if, if they're doing the dishes wrong, then the Holy Spirit can convict them. And if he, the Holy Spirit never convicts them of the way they're doing the dishes... That, oh, let's just take a, let's just take a, we won't get into politics, but I'll just say this. You don't, you're not voting for the person that I'm voting for. for so therefore you're not a Christian. That's mm-hmm. not the spirit of God. That's not the spirit of God at all. God gets to, everybody gets to vote for whoever they want to vote for. And that's not our job to say who someone, who everyone needs to vote for. I don't care if you believe that morality is on your side or what, or whatever's on your side. That's, that's what, that love is letting people be who they are. And until, unless they are coming at you and attacking you and hurting you, then of course you can put up a boundary. Love is also putting up a boundary and saying, no, you can't, I love you, but no, you can't do that anymore to me. Okay. Yeah. 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 And there's, there's kind of two sides to that same coin. It's like letting someone be who they are and like acknowledging that they have the autonomy to do that, but also defining who you are, right. And not letting someone else define who you are. I think a lot of times in this dynamic, what happens is we get up, we, we, we get caught up in trying to argue about what our thoughts and what our intentions and what our beliefs, because what's coming at us a lot of times are, um, mischaracterizations of that. And they're trying to tell us that we're wrong or whatever. And, you know, I feel like one of the light bulb moments that I had was like, oh, I just don't agree. And that's okay. And I can leave it there, right? We don't have to agree on that. (laughs) We don't have to agree that your way is the best way to do the dishes. My way has worked fine. And so, you know, like what, what makes you more important than me, more of an expert than me in this thing to right. decide how I want to do it. Right. Like we decide we're, we're the only people that walk in our shoes mm-hmm. and we're the only people that have the thoughts that, you know, and beliefs that we hold and can really change those and mold those. So like, I feel like a practical kind of takeaway in t- in terms of how do you think about these conversations is knowing that, you get to decide what you want to believe and what you think and how you define how you're feeling. And it's okay if somebody else doesn't agree with you. You don't have to bend to that perception. Yeah. I think another, another, I was just thinking about parenting as you were talking and how, because I was thinking there, there are, you know, dysfunctional people, they'll actually try to raise little Lego characters, you know, the, the characters that they want their kids to be kind of like little miniature, you know, people who will do the dishes exactly the way they did them. 
right? And then what, what inevitably happens is that kids begin to grow up and it turns out that they have, the, they have their own universe between their ears and they may or may not believe all the same things that you believe. This is, you know, in the homeschooling community, I think this is kind of a shocker for people because they were told that if they raise their kids doing, we're kind of going down a different rabbit trail, but I think this is a good topic though. They were told that if they raised their kids doing A, B, C, D, and E, that their kids would grow up and be these perfect Christians. And, and they come to find out kids grow up and they have, they have their own ideas. They have their own universe. They have their own perceptions. They, they end up having their own experiences outside of the home, which is another reason why I think some homeschooling communities actually try to keep the kids in the home to try to control the narrative and try to control the, the life that they end up living. And it's just so, it's just so wrong. It's, that's not love. Love is sitting down with your kids and teaching them what the way that you would like them to go teaching them what you believe, and then also listening to what they're learning and listening to what they believe and having conversations. That's love. And you'd be surprised at how much, for me, for me as a mom anyways, how much I learn from my older kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm so. looking forward to that. My son, you know, he's 15 and that I can already see like the little seeds of adulthood that are sprouting up in him. Um, it's a really good season, but that is so off topic. <laughs> well, here, okay. So here's, so. <laughs> I feel like I can, I can tie it together. Awesome. Do okay. It. Go. So, Cause when you're talking about like what a loving, healthy dynamic looks like, it's people, you know, trying to understand one another. And so if you haven't seen that in the dynamic, like in your relationship dynamic, and you're trying to, um, figure out what's going on with these conflicting messages, I think you know, we sort of talked about looking at like what the person is showing you versus what they're telling you. I mean, just kind of look at the history of the relationship and what's going on. Have they really been trying to understand your point of view, what things hurt you, what things um, you would like to see in a relationship, or is it always just kind of a manipulative thing? Um, It's so funny because my ex, there were a few moments where he was just really honest about what his motives were. And I mean, I think it's when I just started asking those questions and kind of drilling down to like, what is your goal? Cause I was really starting to see like, okay, we're not, we don't have the same goals in these conversations. And so there was a time, uh, where I was, it was before we were separated or anything like that, but there was just a couple weeks where he was just really hard to live with. And it was just, everything was, um, a a conflict. It was just a lot. I was, you know, there was no, like he wasn't willing to resolve anything. It was just bad. So I was planning to just spend some time with my godparents and I had packed up and I was getting ready to leave. And he had this whole heartfelt speech about how, you know, he understood the things that I was telling him about how what he was doing was hurtful and, he even understood, he said he understood how like things in his childhood were causing him to act that way. And so he wanted to change and do better and all of this. So I decided not to leave at that point. Um, this was earlier on in our marriage. And so I decided not to leave. Things were like, okay, for a little while, but of course they fell apart. And I asked him specifically about that moment. I said, Hey, you said all of these things. What happened to that? And he said, well, I just said what I needed to say. 
Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy, right? Admitted it. Yeah. Crazy. And so I was yeah. like, oh, okay. I see what's going on here. You were just trying to manipulate me to get what you want, which was me to stay so that you can continue having these crazy conversations and this dysfunctional arrangement because that's what he was wanting. Yeah. But that's kind of what I would think back about when I would try to think about, okay, he's saying these conflicting things. I'm like, no, he's already told me that. He's just saying what he needs to say. Like he's not really trying to understand me. He's not really trying to care for me. He's just trying to manipulate the situation. And so that was something I could always think back on and say, okay, that's what his motive is. Yep. Yeah. I was definitely, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, Patrick, I was just talking to Patrick Doyle yesterday. He did a, a session for the Flying Free Sisterhood. And he said that the salesman's job starts when the customer says no. So that's, that's what, you know, you said, you said, I'm going to wow. set a boundary and then his job kicked in and he tried to sell you on a seat next to him so that you could have more, more of what he had already been dishing out to you. Yeah. Mm. So go my, ahead, yeah. my ex-husband would, he would always talk about how he tricked people and I didn't really know what to say to that. I just would always project who I thought he was onto him. I'd be like, no, you don't do that. You're such a good person. You know, you're so smart and all these things. And, and he would be like, oh, I just tricked people into thinking that. And I wish I would have believed him. Like he was telling me who he was. But your Um, brain, your brain was so wanting to believe something different. You, You were having all of the thoughts saying he's a good guy. He's just trying, doing his best. He's smart. You were saying all of those things that you were telling him. Your brain wanted to believe those things. It wasn't until you were willing to say something different and say the truth. Go ahead. That's well, and I was going to say it's because people tell that's another grooming thing is we're supposed to assume the best and believe the best about yes. the person, right? Not mm-hmm. necessarily what they're showing us, mm-hmm. but so, so we do start to develop this, like pr- we're projecting our good motives onto them, right? Because we wouldn't try to trick people. So why would they do that? That wouldn't be assuming the best about them. Right. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's really um, scary or, or just really like unsettling when you wake up and realize actually, no, people don't always have good motives. I can't trust all these people. And I look back and I think about how naive I was. Um, and that's a whole different story. But like, yeah, we have to really be smart about and understand that no, some people really do try to take advantage of other people. All three of us were married to people like this. Yep, yep, crazy. Well, and, you're, and they were honest. That's so I crazy know. how like, they were <laughs> honest about it, but we just didn't believe it. I know right. that that's what I was right. going to say. I don't think mine was ever honest. Like, I don't think mine ever said anything like that, but your guys is, whoa, they, yeah. you know, that's like, that's very interesting. And there are people that do have that level of, uh, what do you call that? Psycho pathology or whatever, you know, where they actually purposefully do things on purpose and, and they, and they admit it. It's, that's absolutely crazy. Well, you guys, I think we're going to wrap it up here, but this was a really good conversation. Thank you for joining me for it. And for those of you who are listening, thanks for listening. Until next time, fly free.